0: Yes. Five, four, three,
1: two, one. Welcome to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of flagandbanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show offers listeners first-hand insight into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Connect with Carrie through her candid, often funny, and informative weekly blog, where you'll read and can comment on life as wife, mother, daughter, and entrepreneur. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Chris. My
2: guest today's name, P. Allen Smith, and lifestyle are synonymous with creativity. Everyone wants to be him or at least live like him. He is nationally recognized as a gardener, cook, author, and chicken farmer because for over 20 years he has come into our homes on his PBS TV show, or should I say shows, P. Allen Smith's Garden Home, and P. Allen Smith's Garden to Table. To support his passion for poultry, in 2009, he founded the Heritage Poultry Conservancy, where he works to educate the public and protect endangered species at his farm, Moss Mountain, high above the Arkansas River. If you haven't gone to one of his spring or fall events on the mountain, I recommend you put it on your bucket list. People come from all over the world to see what Mr. P. Allen Smith Jr. is showing, serving, and saying about this cottage industry. Today, we're going to hear the whole story and get tips on raising backyard chickens and urban gardening. It is a pleasure to welcome to the table my longtime friend, Mr. P. Allen Smith.
0: Carrie, it's a pleasure to be here.
2: So I want to tell everybody that I've been trying to pin you down for two years <laughs> and that you are so busy, just like we said, hardworking, creative, and your, you know, lifestyle is really complicated because you're outside, you know, gardening. That's where your job is. But then you have to go inside and do the stuff that we all have to do at the desks, write books, do all that stuff. You're very, very busy.
0: Have to wear lots of hats, lots of different hats. You sure do. Yeah.
2: We're going to talk about all of them today. Uh, you were born in Arkansas, but raised in Tennessee for a little while. And then you moved back to Arkansas. You call yourself, I read this about you, a fourth generation nurseryman and horticulturist. <laughs> Tell our listeners about your father, your namesake and how you followed not only in his footsteps, but generations before you, because you're four generations.
0: Well, it goes back to the Cumberland Plateau where my father's family comes from. And they came there, <clears throat> um, they, they actually came to this country um, in the 1680s uh, through Charleston, the port of Charleston, and they made their way west. Like so many Europeans, uh, they were English and they were greedy for land and made their way to Middle Tennessee by the 1790s, and they've been there ever since. And uh, there was a a great deal of um, economic uh, instability, and the old crops that were raised uh, by our family were were difficult for them to make money with. It was principally tobacco and cotton. And so they began to produce fruit trees. And by the 1880s, um, a fellow by the name of Mr. Boyd, whose farm was next to the Smith farm, uh, began a nursery, and uh, and it it was they were side by side, and uh, legend has it that he began providing trees for a rather large property that was being built over in North Carolina called Biltmore, mm-hmm. and so the family just really uh, used. The, the growing of trees and things like that is kind of a cash crop in the beginning. And then over the generations, they did more and more with nursery stock. And it became less on fruit, less about fruit trees and those kinds of things and more about ornamentals. So by the time I came along, um, I had a keen interest in botany and uh, learned a lot about farming and, and horticulture on that very practical level. And uh, just carried that through my career, and and uh, we had went to Hendrix and studied uh, biology with an emphasis on botany. I just kind of knew a lot about plants, and it made it easy. Those courses were easy for me to take. I think. Well, you grew
2: up on a farm, right?
0: Right, and so then I went to England and uh, studied garden history and design, um, master's program there, and then came back, and we for a long time had a had a nursery and had a design build company and then in 93 I began a media company and began talking about the things I was doing every day and helping answer questions about you know what's going on with my tomatoes and and then that sort of you know went into other aspects of, of life and helping people make better choices to improve their lives through using no chemicals or being very careful and using only organic uh, methodologies and practices and then over time uh, about 12 years ago we bought moss mountain farm which uh, goes back to the 1840s as you mentioned it's high above the arkansas river valley and there we uh, use that as really kind of a studio set that, uh, enables us to help people understand how to grow things. Uh, we have kitchens. there as a studio where we prepare healthy, uh, meals and we show how to, I I like very simple meals. So we have a rule that, you know, only five ingredients. We try to bring everything out of the garden. Um, so it's, it's very much, uh, um, a show about you know healthy healthy living, really, because mm-hmm. I think that connectivity to nature, uh, that growing something is good for our souls. Mm-hmm. and I think that um you know the the good the good food that we eat that isn't uh, local I mean when it's locally grown, when you know where it's coming from, there's like a, the old days there's a reassurance for me at least, and I know a lot of people feel this way today with industrial agriculture that, you know, when you can buy it locally and you can know the farmer, not only are you getting something that you know how it was grown, where it was grown, but you build a relationship with someone. And that's so important. Socialization is so important. That leads me to the fact that we opened the farm about seven years ago to these tours where we invite people from around the country who have followed the show. We really enjoy sharing the farm and that social Component, of that interaction. Uh, this virtual stuff has its place, but yeah. you know, you just can't be meeting people and having that one on one time with them.
2: I know it. Um, do you still have the farm in Tennessee?
0: Well, with th- there are multiple farms. The but the fa- one that you grew up on. No, no, we don't. We don't. The one I grew up on is in a place called Daylight. My great grandparents lived at Dark Hollow, mm. and my great my my all of my uh, brothers, uh, my father's brothers and sisters are
2: still there. Uh,
0: yeah, except for one. So yeah. you
2: moved to Arkansas when you were twelve,
0: right? Yes, your
2: dad got a job offer.
0: Yes, he he moved. We moved from the farm back to Arkansas. What was he going to
2: do? Was he not going to farm anymore?
0: Well, he he actually never really em, embraced farming completely. He Skip was skipped that generation. He was well. This is what happens, you see. I mean, this happened mm-hmm. in the in the seventies. What happened is the small family farm began to change. Yeah, and it became difficult for people to make a living on the farm, and so what you had are these. Uh, folks who would farm on weekends and that's what my dad hit we had about a hundred acres and mm-hmm. he had uh, cattle and you know we had a big garden and we did row crops and this kind of thing and poultry and swine and all, all of it you know and so it was really something he wanted to kind of go back to because he grew up that way And so he, uh, we moved, he got a job offer and wanted to come here and find a farm for us. But sadly, what happened is he had back surgery and then had a blood clot from back surgery and had a pulmonary embolism and died when he was 37. Wow. So my mother raised us, um, uh, all four of us, children here in in Little Rock. And then, as I mentioned, I went on to to Hendricks after graduating from high school. how old were you when he died? Thirteen.
2: Isn't that how you kind of decide? Didn't I read somewhere that you kind of as therapy decided you were going to put chickens in your backyard?
0: Well, that's true. I mean, we just come from a farm and the idea was to find a farm, but but there was, you know, that takes a while, and so my parents bought of a house in in the suburbs and um and i was just adamant that i was going to bring some of my animals with me i wasn't going to give them all up so i I brought some chickens and a pair of turkeys and we brought our dogs and a cat and a and a parakeet and um so we i started a farm and um in the backyard and i made a garden and i built Built coops for my chickens, and my neighbors were extremely generous and kind in allowing me to have this little agrohood. hood uh, thats a coined <laughs> phrase, right there. In, in, our, um, in our in our midst, and uh, and it was it was wonderful, and yes. it, it was really a way for me to stay connected to to that life I'd had before losing my father.
2: And it was therapeutic.
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah, and that's why I'm a big believer in. In, in being in the garden and having that time to 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 really think about the Creator and think about your place in the world and to watch these amazing things grow and bloom. I mean, it's just Satisfying. a miracle every day.
2: It's hard work, though. Let's just be honest. It's hard work. Well, yeah, but there's nothing wrong with hard work. Uh, that's true.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I like
2: it. You do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, You went You went to college, like you said, at Hendrix, And then when you graduated, you decided to uh, jump on the opportunity to study abroad. But there was no Internet back then. Oh, no. How did you figure out where to go and what to
0: do? Well, there was a, um, you know, you, in those days, you wrote letters. <laughs> and um, and it, it was really through a series of phone calls and, and calling universities and, um, you know, working out the time difference and calling these places. And everyone was very kind. But
2: didn't you apply somewhere and didn't get in and ended up getting uh, accepted? I, I thought, I think I remember this from coming out to one of your tours where you were telling everybody that you applied at one place for a college
0: yes yes didn't get it well what i wanted to i wanted to study landscape design okay and i had had hoped to go to a school in cheltenham which was in the southern part of england and they didn't really have a design course it was more of an ag school which really interested me but then um, a friend in england who became a friend uh, recommended the university of manchester that in the school of architecture in the department of town and country planning they did landscape architecture and garden history so that's how it came about.
2: Perfect fit
0: for you. Yeah, and well, they just, it worked out that way. Yeah, it did. Yeah.
2: And they just sent you a little trifolded pamphlet and said, "Come here." And you said, "Okay." You filled out the form and mailed it off and said, "I'll see y'all later." I don't even really know where I'm going.
0: That's the way it worked. That's then. the way it
2: worked back then. Yeah, that was a leap of faith. Yeah,
0: you just do it. Right. You didn't
2: get to go online and Google and look around oh, no. at the dorm rooms or I had see no what you. Had no you, idea. Yeah, you just got on a. Yeah,
0: that's what that's what you do.
2: Did you get on a boat or did did they have airplanes invented back then? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's really dating me. <laughs> uh,
2: you were there for 18 months?
0: Yes, almost two years, yes.
2: And did you do private tour guides? Were you a tour guide there? Or did you do private tours there? Or, what no, did, you, or in, did you just study?
0: No, I was just studied, yeah. So it was really um, going around and looking at a uh, big part of what I did was to look at gardens of the 18th century. I was particularly interested in gardens that, Jefferson and Adams had seen on an English garden tour they'd taken in 1786. They had decided while they waited on an appointment with King George to go on this tour of gardens. Jefferson had kept a book called Observations on Modern Gardening by Whateley in his in his library. He had a 1771 copy and it was sort of the latest and greatest gardens of England and uh, so he took that as a guide and they went around and looked at these gardens uh, within a certain distance of of london probably the furthest away they went to near birmingham and saw a great place called hagley and another garden called it was william shinston he was a poet at the time to see his garden
2: so if i wanted to go on that tour i could still google it up and find out what that tour is the jefferson
0: tour well i don't know i mean maybe you could but um a lot of the places are no longer there Um, i mean like shinston's garden the lisos is a L- lovely golf municipal golf course um. <laughs> but uh but but some of the some of the great houses are still there like zion house in london which is owned by the duke of northumberland chiswick house which is a beautiful house and how it's did been all resorted- this change you i think travel changes everyone uh you know it was an opportunity to see a different place a different world a, diff- a way in which you know people view things it's different and um and then you know i i went abroad and 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 went to italy and and france while i was there and belgium and tried to see as many places as i could and now go back frequently
2: because you've met some really highfalutin friends over there haven't you
0: well, I guess so. Yeah,
2: you have, haven't well, you?
0: Well, I have. Yeah, they're great. They've they've been great. Influenced my career tremendously. Yeah.
2: So I think this is a great place for us to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Mr. Paul Allen Smith Jr. of the PBS TV show P. Allen Smith's Garden Home and P. Allen Smith's Garden to Table. In this next segment, we'll have him tell us about his road to fame from a local ornamental nursery on Stagecoach Road in Little Rock, Arkansas, to nationally recognized expert on heritage chickens, gardening, and farm-to-table cooking. The rest of the story after the break.
0: I find each garden to be a fresh opportunity to explore and create uniquely personal spaces. Hi, I'm Alan Smith. Welcome to The Garden Home, a show about design and blurring the lines between inside and out. Now in today's show, we're going to focus on two things that I think are very important, and I can use more and more of it in my life. That's beauty and wisdom.
1: You're listening to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of Flagandbanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Kerry founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, starting with door-to-door sales, then telemarketing, to mail order and catalog sales. And now a third of their sales come through the internet. And this past year, Flag & Banner added another internet feature, live chatting. Over time, Carrie's business and leadership knowledge grew. As early as 2004, she began sharing this knowledge in her weekly blog. In 2009, she founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom, and in 2014, Brave Magazine was launched. Today, she has branched out into radio with this very production, podcast, and live stream on Facebook. Each week on this show, you'll hear candid conversations between her and her guests about real-world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that we hope you'll find interesting and inspiring. If you'd like to ask Carrie a question or share your story, send an email to questions at upyourbusiness.org. That's questions with an S at upyourbusiness.org. Or send her a message on flagandbanner.com's Facebook page. You're listening
2: to Up in Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with Mr. Paul Allen Smith Jr., author of not one but five lifestyle books. I meant to bring one today that I have of yours, just to remind you that I have one. (laughs) Founder of Heritage Poultry Conservancy and producer, star of the Peon Smith Gardens, Peon Smith's Garden Home, and P. Allen Smith's Garden to Table, broadcast on PBS. Before the break, we talked about Allen's. life growing up on a farm, being in Tennessee, your family's four generations of farmers and ornamental Mm. horticulturists. So now you've come back home from England, and we also talked about how you went to school in England. Now you've come back home from England, and this is when I met you. You had just opened Burnham Woods and you came into Arkansas Flag and Banner and wanted to do a swap for some, I don't know if you remember this, for some banners to hang in your nursery. And you said you'd come out and put some uh, ornamental plants and stuff in my backyard. And I was like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know this guy. But you and I hit it off so good that I was like, (laughs) okay. And then when he came out and decorated my garden, I was like, oh, my gosh, I think I got the best deal out of this whole thing. (laughs) It was off the chart. And you have not stopped since. So when you opened this nursery, did you ever think that it was going to lead to where it led to now? Did you have this in mind at all?
0: No, not really. Um, you know, you never know how things are going to make a turn in the road, life that is. Um, so I, you know, I loved creating that garden for you in, in the back. That was great fun. <laughs> And um, we, we, we deployed some, I think, creative ideas there and it turned it into a fun place. And that's really what we do is we try to try to create beautiful spaces for people where they can, you know, enjoy and, and connect. And that's very important. But we did have a nursery um, and I had no idea at the time that I would be entering into media at some point. But really how all that started. Carrie, was, was out of my my interest in, in sharing this knowledge that I'd learned in England. The heart of a teacher. I had had the uh, good fortune to uh, connect with the RHS, the Royal Horticultural Society. There's that word again. Mm-hmm. Um, and the um, I, I, they had a, a series of exams that you took to become... A certified fellow at, at the time, and I did that with the RHS. I am remain a member of the Royal Horticultural Society and a life member of the Rare Breed Survival Trust in England. And so I um, just really wanted to share information and started doing these workshops at our nursery on Saturdays. Oh. And they just grew in popularity. And I think uh,
2: you trained everybody in town because <laughs> really? nobody's gardens looked the way they do today. Everybody, you could you could spot your gardens a mile away, and pretty soon, a lot of nurseries were following your lead.
0: Well, I think that we did make an impact um, in the market in, in a lot of ways, uh, or in a few ways at least. I mean, one was sort of thinking about gardens in a different way, and then also bringing back a lot of great plants that we had sort of forgotten. If you went into a nursery in the early 80s, you if you were looking for perennials, you might find daylilies and hostas, and that would be it. Mm-hmm. But of course, being in England, it had opened my eyes to these amazing gardens and the variety of plants were being used. And they were using a lot of native plants, plants that grew right here on our in our roadsides. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was... a. Uh, it was a uh, quite a moment for me to recognize that. So I began doing teaching, and then uh, I, there was a host of a radio show, uh, Sharon Lee, on K-A-R-N, who came. She was very interested in garden, gardens and gardening, she and her husband, and she said, look, we should do a radio show together. And so we started doing a radio show. Once we a week? For a couple of years, for two, for, yeah, once a, once a week for a couple of years. And then we got our hour got bumped when Rush Limbaugh went from one hour to two hours. (laughs) And at that very time, I got a a very day, I actually got a phone call from uh, KATV, Channel 7, and uh, they said, we're looking for someone to come in and talk about uh, country western music, automotive repair and gardening. And I said, well, if. If it's not all the same person, I might be able to help you. But I'd be at a loss talking about country western music or automotive repair. Uh, but I could give gardening a go. And so I went in and... Is it and hard did, to prepare? Well, I didn't prepare. I didn't know what to how, how to prepare. I've never been in front of a television camera in my life. And so I just went in and auditioned. I, I thought I was absolutely awful. And, um, you know, being basically an introvert... It was a harrowing experience. And uh, but they called me back and said we want you to come in. I, I would just come in and talk about what was going on in the garden. Do you have to bring and, props with you? Well, I would. Th- yeah, a few things. You know, uh, a tomato hornworm or something like that to <laughs> show people. You or, mean a real worm? Yeah, or yeah, or, or roses that were blooming, things that were dead or dying, and explain why. And well, that's kind that opposite would, of what other people would do. Well, it was. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was. Um, you know, it was really sort of get right to it in two minutes help people solve a problem and um, so I just um, over time these became very popular with Channel 7 and uh, I had the idea of maybe syndicating these and uh, moving into syndication with these little short 90 second spots and that's how we got started we formed a a production company in 1993 and uh, with some friends uh, who were very supportive and uh, they helped uh, helped me get started with that. So you had um, partners. Yep, and then we 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 grew from there. Um, we did the segments, the little ninety second reports, for about eight years, and grew their popularity and uh, our coverage over about two hundred and fifty stations around the country. And then those stations started asking for a thirty minute show because I was showing up in the local news on you know, at noon or the morning show, it was, you know, considered soft news. And what was so interesting early on, the news directors had to decide whether they wanted or not, because it, it was a 90-second report, and it was in the news. And
2: nobody was doing that, were they?
0: Well, there was a fellow that was uh, underway with a, a food-focused 90-second um, uh, insert, they were called, or interstitial, and his name was Mr. Food, and he would talk about you know different kinds of recipes and foods and things like that, and so I sort of took that model at uh, ninety seconds um, uh, and 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 developed it, uh, focused on organic principles, gardening, things that you can use around the house that are uh, without that allowed you to do the kinds of things you need to do without using hard chemicals, things that were good for your pets and that sort of thing, mm, like yeah.
2: tobacco salt. Well,
0: tobacco, yeah, you want to keep your dogs from smoking. Well, no, but, <laughs> 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 but,
2: but tobacco around... Uh, wh- Around your bottom of your plant. Or it can be you can put it in your water and spray your plants with you tobacco can, right,
0: in it. Right. Yep. And
2: Epsom salt's a great fertilizer. It
0: is, those kinds of things. Is that what you're talking dish, about? Yep, right. And using oh, yeah, dishwashing dish liquid, you know, mm-hmm. to help use that as an insecticide. Those kinds of things. And then we started doing simple recipes with food that people could do.
2: So is it once th- so every week you gave a new ninety second commercial and you put it out to your t- for, to 250 radio sta- or TV stations for about eight years. Was it hard to keep coming up with stuff, or did you just repeat the same material over and over and over? Because the years cycle through, and you kind of the same problems over and over.
0: No, we did one per day. One per day, and we we for, so each station got five a week. So every weekday there was a new one that aired, and so we did.
2: How long uh, before you started making money? Because that's a lot of people to record and edit and put up it and
0: was a huge amount of content yes for eight years for
2: 90 seconds how much do you have to shoot how long do you have to shoot a commercial or a spot well, to it, get 90 good seconds
0: well, well it got it got shorter over time but in the beginning it yeah. took a long time <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> because
0: i had no idea what i was doing
2: so how long before your your investors and you started making a profit
0: well, it really took about six about five years and, and we began to talk to sponsors and people became interested in it. The Weather Channel picked picked it up and the segments. See, so
2: were you giving it for free?
0: Well, that's what we did in the beginning. You and, just
2: gave it away for free, thinking yeah. someday somebody's gonna start advertising with me.
0: Yeah, you, that's the way we started. And we, we had to convince them that this was a people good people
2: always uh, think entrepreneurs just are born with it the way it is and that they were just born no, successful. No, you have out to grow sh-
0: it. You have to grow it from, from really nothing, from tiny little seeds of ideas into big productive plants. Five years. Yeah. So you, you have to um, also uh, be patient, I think. And um, I think quality is also very important. Keep the quality up. And um, that was something that was always so you- a hallmark of what we, We tried to do and the the thing that about these stations that was so interesting is that the news directors in the beginning they said now we really want news that that is um you know a little more dramatic maybe something that'll raise boost ratings and they'd use phrases like well if it bleeds it leaves you know that's Mm -hmm. the kind of thing they want i said well wait a minute i think there are people out there particularly in the morning and maybe on the noon show why don't Why don't we think about news you can use, and that's what oh, we I do. Oh, I like
2: it. News you can use,
0: and so that's that was sort of our motto that I we love would, that. we would we we develop that and and began helping people with these kinds of things that would uh, make their life a little better, better and healthier. Yeah. Uh,
2: so when you when you first go to talk to people and tell them you want to give them this ninety second spot. Do you go to each station or do you go to – is there a way you can go and reach all of them at one time to give your pitch? I mean, do you have to go and sell every station? Well,
0: the Internet, you know, Al Gore just invented the Internet, and so <laughs> it was just it was just getting started. And so um, what we – yeah, I mean, we were online and we were sending emails and things like that, but it wasn't nearly as developed, of course, as it is today. But really, it was through a network of, of stations. Um, for instance, they were owned by one group, and there might be seven or eight stations in those days. And we had um, we were on Channel Seven and they were so helpful at Channel Seven. Dale Nicholson was fantastic. Yes, he was. And he was a big supporter of what we were doing, and Bob Doubleday was was amazing. He was the former executive uh, manager of of Channel Seven. And you know they the, Dale was was fantastic. and so he he knew people, he knew stations. They were at that time owned by I think all Britain. All Britain had other 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 properties, other stations around the country. and so they shared the idea. And then we put together a news director advisory board where they could we could bring them together and on a phone call and just give us advice and they news said,
2: directory advisor board.
0: Well, we just picked seven of the uh, top news directors and brought them together. Uh, these were influencers; they knew a lot of people, and we asked them to come and be a part of. Just and a, they
2: just said okay. Yeah. Because successful people love to teach.
0: And so we wanted to understand better the that landscape, that news landscape, and they were so um, so helpful. And they all were all well local. On. And they were all local? No, they came from different places. Um, so you just from, did a
2: conference call?
0: We Well, we do conference calls, but in some cases, many of them came to see us. Uh, and then we've kept in touch with those news directors. Many of them have retired now, but uh, that goes that goes way back to 1994, 95.
2: When did you just, when I, you, you started off as just Alan Smith's Gardens, and you put the P in there after a little while. Why did, why did you decide to do that?
0: No, that's not true. Is that not true? That's what I I, thought I remembered. I went to Hendrix and they gave me, they made me P. Allen Smith. Because there was another Allen? There was another Allen Smith. And so I I was the president of the student body and the, the year that I was president, they they put the P in front as a way to distinguish me from others. And Bob Doubleday really liked the, the idea of the initial P in front. Oh, And, you know, when you've got a vanilla name like Alan Smith, you've got to spice it up a little bit. Yeah. And so the P stuck. Well, I think
2: that's but why. It's
0: al- but it's always been P. Alan Smith when we started the production. Always. Yeah.
2: So you, in the very beginning, you I think you started producing not at Moss Mountain. You were producing at your cottage in downtown Little Rock.
0: Well, we did. And my my then partners had a beautiful kitchen and we used the kitchen and we used uh, gardens. We would go and you know knock on doors and say you have a beautiful garden or my clients who had been so good to me and we'd made gardens for them, we'd use those or we would, we had uh, we would tape in my garden downtown of which we still have yeah it's that same studio set and, and we kept that until we, we still keep it but yeah. uh, we we do we do tape there probably uh, every other week um, really? some pieces from that garden it's so handy to our offices and studio
2: that are down there. and then
0: we 12 years ago we we uh, moved out to Moss Mountain with a lot of our production because of the uh, well, just the construction of the farm and the fact that there's an opportunity there with with such diversity to find good yeah. content and demonstrate good practices of stewardship and taking care of plants and growing things and doing it organically.
2: It's wonderful to walk around that place. It's absolutely Thank you. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It, you bought that house you know, in uh, downtown Little Rock for $1,000. You bought the lot. Then you bought a house for a dollar.
0: No, no. Yes, I I traded a landscape project for the lot, and I bought the house for a dollar and had it moved onto the site and restored it.
2: There's creativity. I mean, the guy cannot stop.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're pretty
2: modest about everything, too. I have to kind of drag everything out of you. When I started talking about that cottage house, if it had been me, the first thing I'd have said was, you know, I bought that for (laughs) a (laughs) dollar.
0: Well, what I always say is it's amazing what you can do to, uh, you know, people, you show before and after pictures and their jaw drops. Yeah. But, you know, it's incredible what you can do with a coat of paint and $300,000, you know, so. What's 3 Where'd you get
2: $300,000?
0: Well, there's. I don't know. Oh, uh, over, well, yeah. over time, over I'm, just, time. I'm oh. just making a oh, point about yeah, so many much, of these reality shows. You know, it's, oh, it's yeah. you know, right. Well, anybody can do that. Well,
2: anybody can do that. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Your production company keeps you so busy all the time. I guess it sounds like you video every day almost. Well,
0: how- not not every day, but they they are doing production every day. So I'm not always in every piece we shoot. So it may be that I do an intro to it, and they'll go visit uh, an interesting uh, place or get a story where maybe I can't go, but that gets integrated into the show. And then I'll do the yeah. opens and the wraps and that kind of thing. And then I'll do segments within the show. And just like today, they've got uh, we were doing this piece for just talk about heritage turkeys, these great breeds or colors of turkeys that we that were a part of our heritage and our agricultural legacy and so the show is about that we had frank reese from kansas as a guest who came down to the farm we interviewed frank he's kind of considered the father of of a heritage poultry. They just did a, there's a documentary out that you saw called Eating Animals uh, that where Frank is featured there. He's sort of the hero farmer in that documentary. Hero farmer, I like that. Yeah, Yeah. isn't that good? Mm -hmm. And so we're uh, doing this 30 minute show on the importance of the conservation of genetics. You know, people say, well, you know, you, you love chickens. I really do, but it's the genetics that I find so interesting and important. And, and the poultry, too, it's just stunning for people to walk into our and see our poultry collection. And it, it's, you know, I've been around this my whole life. And so I'm like, OK, but but what I love about it is that it's opening up a world that people didn't really know existed. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're now three and four generations away from the farm and people have no idea mm-hmm. how wonderful these animals are and and how they populated our ancestors farms and i'm not talking just about poultry i'm talking about sheep and swine and so i'm a life member of the uh uh, american livestock conservancy the livestock conservancy as it's called
2: so would you say that moss when you purchased moss mountain i think you said 12 years ago would you say that was a labor of love or a business decision
0: well, I think it was a labor of love. I bet. Yeah, it's expensive. It, it takes a lot to 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 run a farm, and it takes a lot to um, to develop it in a way. And you don't that really you sell anything
2: like, off that farm, do you?
0: Well, we do. We have a we have a gift shop, and uh, and we have lots of of tours, and we don't we don't really produce you don't produce any, anything though, except do you? content.
2: Interesting. That is so twenty first century. We're a
0: content <laughs> farm.
2: A real farm full of content, yeah, but do you sell your chickens at all
0: sc- we have a we have a sale twice a year for our genetics. People are very interested in it because they're very uh, we've done a we've worked hard at trying to bring a lot of these breeds back, many of them were on the precipice of extinction, and so we've we've really worked to bring them not only back but also to bring them up to standard the standard that they were in the say late nineteenth century,
2: yeah. Do you think somebody today could start a could start the way you started, ninety seconds?
0: Well, I think they're doing it all over with the, with the internet. Mm-hmm. I mean, with uh, YouTube with YouTube and things like that. I think it it carries on. I think there's Maybe opportunities out there. It, it it may very well be, yeah.
2: But there's more noise. There's more competition.
0: Well, everybody that has a cell phone is a is a is a content producer now.
2: Well, that's true. Uh, so let's talk about the Heritage Poultry Conservancy that you founded, I think uh, not very uh, maybe eight years ago.
0: Yeah, that's about right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it really sprung out of the fact that when you know we talked about my early childhood and my life moving from the farm into the city and the changes that uh, occurred at that point in my family with my father passing away and me kind of hanging on to that farm just in a small way in the backyard. Well, I began to uh, show show poultry. We couldn't. I couldn't keep a cow. I couldn't show swine, but I could keep a few chickens. in, right?
2: in the in the suburbs.
0: In the suburbs, and so here I had a. Uh, my mom was uh, raising four kids by herself, and you know she really didn't have a lot of uh, mind share to to you know to to give to uh, me doing all sorts of things. So anything I could do in the backyard or with poultry, it was something that I could really do myself. And I learned a lot from mentors and so forth. Well, fast forward to uh, about 10 years ago, I went to the state fair and was talking to the supervisor at the poultry show. And I was making my rounds and looking at all the livestock, which I like to do. There were just not that many Chickens. great, great birds. And I just told told the supervisor, you know, this looks so different than it did when I was when we were showing mm-hmm. what happened to the. You know that we had the great, great old breeders that were bringing in these amazing sort of examples of the breeds, and he said, "Well, we just we we just don't have a lot of kids involved. Or, you know, the the numbers are really dropping." And and I said, "Well, what can we do about that?" So we had a meeting with the fair board of which I'm a member of the state fair board now. And um, I said, let's see what we can do to raise raise some money. And I said, well, what is a? Give me an example of what a champion rooster might win. And I, it was like twelve dollars or something like that. And I said, yeah, we we need to work on that. Yeah, and That's so not much incentive. So I said, tell me, you know, like what does a, a, a the champion steer get? You know, and well, you know, those could be sold at that time for twelve hundred dollars something like that I said well we really need to bolster this with the with the poultry and the poultry kids because the way I felt about it Carrie was that there are a lot of kids out there that don't have the resources to be able to keep dairy cattle or or beef right. cattle or horses and this sort of thing and um, they take it takes a certain amount of, Economic resources to be able to make that kind of thing and happen, no, and
2: no hoofed animals
0: in the city. Well, no, that's right. Unfortunately, you know, and <laughs> you, know, so yeah.
2: you got that. <laughs> I would
0: have, I would have had those if I could. But yeah. anyway, um, I just felt like that ra- rabbits and poultry were a way to really. Let kids get involved and raise something and participate in the show world and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So we raised the money. We bought new cages and, you know, kind of spruced up the space and got what they needed. And uh, I said, I want these ribbons that these kids get to be bigger than the beef cattle. I want them to be the biggest ribbons given. And so now these ribbons are absolutely outrageous. <laughs> They're huge rosettes, bigger than the kids. And, uh, <laughs> and they that, love that. Yeah, they do. And so, and then we've got these big gorgeous trophies and uh, that where their name goes on it if they win best of show. And so that's been going on now and it's a pair of big um, silver pieces that my my mother had. And so we had those made into trophies. Uh, so now he, the kids get their names put on them, or the Hello. winner, and then we have um, the, the the prize money. So that that champion, it's
2: not twelve dollars anymore. It's
0: not twelve dollars. It's, it's a you know it can be anywhere from one hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty. That's a lot of money for a kid. It is, and a lot of these kids. I mean, I'm telling you, some of them are so good at raising the the poultry. Now they're 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 taking home you know a thousand dollars.
2: Wow, are they in the city? These kids in the are,
0: Yeah, or, you know, and smaller, maybe they may come from, some come from Saline County, Bryant. Uh, Benton, it's the state fairs. They come from all over the state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we do have some kids from North Little Rock and Little Rock.
2: There's something about taking care of an animal that teaches uh, kids about responsibility. Sure. Absolutely. And you want a dog, but they are a lot of work. They are very needy. They're very social. You have to be home. You have to do things with them. But a chicken.
0: And their eggs aren't as good as chickens. And their (laughs) eggs aren't as good.
2: But the the poultry, but the the, uh, chickens or the poultry, you can you know lock them up at night and you better. You, you better yeah that's right but you can lock them up if you go on vacation for a while you can they they're, they're not as needy yeah
0: they're they're automatic feeders and waterers and that kind of thing they're but, easy to take care of but you of. have
2: that responsibility that you better lock them up at night or the raccoons
0: going to come get them that's even right. in the city right that's exactly right
2: and you get one of them eaten which we raised chickens in our yard in 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 the Hillcrest neighborhood and it, you get one of them eaten that kid feels pretty bad the next day
0: this whole backyard poultry phenomena has been interesting. It, I it, think
2: you're part of it. You're part of the reason, I
0: think. Well, I don't know about that. I feel like that we we really took uh, a trend, something I knew something about, and we've amplified it. We've certainly raised the awareness, and we've raised the awareness of these heritage breeds. And so what we're now trying to do is tie in these breeds, we call them breeds with needs, uh, with these kids that are... Interested and so they're raising these breeds that need to be the population needs to come up and uh, for us to sustain them
2: So why do you think they need to be saved?
0: Well, I think the main reason for me is just genetic diversity Um, You know you if you go down a very narrow path genetically with any food source for our food system it becomes more and more precarious, mm-hmm. and so we have these great seed banks uh, where we are saving cereal grains, we're saving legumes, and and all you know the world's uh, wheat and all, all all of this. And we have these seed banks in Norway and Colorado and England and various places. You where, say,
2: are you saving your poultry's DNA?
0: Well, that's part of the conservancy. Yes, but can you
2: actually save the DNA?
0: Well, there is some work being done to cryogenically attempt to do this, where the where the ovum, the egg, and the sperm is saved. They're doing this with mammalian genetics, and uh, there's a place called Swiss Village Farm in Rhode Island that was funded by Dorance Hamilton, who was a Campbell Soup heiress, and she uh, gathered together for a period of almost 15 years lots of these. Uh, great herds of of swine, goats, sheep, cattle, both beef and dairy, uh, and even to some degree horses and so forth. And they cryogenically have have conserved the sperm and egg of these mammalian species or varieties of heritage animals, so that they could be be put into a surrogate uh, Mm -hmm. at some point, 400 years into the future, and that variety, say it's a a beltway cow uh, uh, or or belted uh, uh, gateway cow, they would be able to...
2: All you'd have to really do, I guess chickens have sperm, I don't know, but all you have to do is save sperm and then, like you said, put it into a surrogate and you've started it off again.
0: Well, I think it's a little more complicated than that. You know, there's
2: a guy who owns a polo. There's a, there's a polo uh, star. He's real hot. I saw him on uh, 60 Minutes. And he saved the sperm from his horse that they had to put down. And he has started a whole line of polo horses using his super his horse that... It yeah. was So
0: good. Well, that's that's commonly done. It has been done for a long time with AI, artificial insemination. There you go. But but, it's to, not the same, but no. to cryogenically try to conserve the ovum, an egg, the egg, freeze it. Yeah. And and the sperm is challenging with fowl, with avian genetics, and so. That's not to say they're not doing it now because I'm not on the cutting edge of that personally, mm-hmm. but I know they're attempting to do that. Now that would be a great breakthrough. Before, I mean, so in the uh-huh. interim, what we do is we, we hatch every year, we, we reproduce them, we pick out the best ones. So we are conserving them. That's the, way, the only way we know to How do it. How many breeds do you have on your farm? We have about f- uh, of, of chickens, uh, ducks, geese, and turkeys. We have uh, probably 60 varieties. That's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of need. There are a lot of a lot of these these uh, birds need
1: need conservation. Do the eggs are they different? The eggs you would eat from different breeds, or is it kind of all the same? No, the eggs uh, the flavor of an
0: egg is largely dictated by what the animal's consuming. Oh, and um, you know, so if you feed it pizza, it's going to taste like a pizza. And no, I'm just kidding. I'm so, uh, but but you know, if, if if they're eating a lot of onion and that kind of thing or garlic, there may be a little hint of that that comes really? through. Really, huh. but just. Just a, just a little bit but the the by and large it's really what they're fed that's that's what colors the yolk you see these really dark rich colored yolks yes. it's from them eating spinach uh, well no corn or or pumpkins we, we feed all the the end of the season we feed all our pumpkins to them.
2: So if I wanted to start a uh, chicken farm or a chicken <laughs> not a chicken farm but if I want to put back start backyard chickens in my backyard sure. would you buy the chickens on that would you buy the chicks on the internet? And what time of year would you start?
0: Well, sure, you could do that. I mean, the fall's a good time as long as you live in a place where you don't have a harsh winter. The spring is an obvious time. But um, what we find is that when we have our visitors, we're open now till Christmas, uh, every Thursday and Friday. And so we have...
2: You can just come out there every Thursday and Friday?
0: No, oh. uh, you make an appointment oh. and you come for lunch and a tour and a tour of the house and a tour of the heritage poultry and a tour of the cottage and the farm. And you you, you yeah, learn about it and you learn about it. And so there are opportunities there to get some ideas on how we house them and that kind of thing. And so I encourage people to do research and, and, and go and have a look around. Because they we need light. Them. Yes.
2: And they need uh, heat.
0: Uh, well, as chicks, they do. But, I mean, most of these are land-race breeds that really are tough. I mean, we, have, we have Brahmas from, the, from Tibet, from the Himalayas. Uh, and so they're very, very cold-tolerant. We have uh, Menorcas and, and white-faced black Spanish from the Iberian Peninsula who can really take the heat, you know. So these are the genetics of these things are amazing.
2: That's so exotic.
0: Yeah. Well, but they don't
2: buy chicks out at your place. So they come out there and they learn about it at your place. Well,
0: we have a workshop. We Throughout the season, through the fall, we'll do workshops. We just had a poultry workshop where we talked about these heritage breeds. So what people should do is go to our website, look at when we're open, and look at the lessons that we're teaching. We'll have classes on beekeeping. Uh, we'll have, you know, goat soap making. We have... Lots of our farmer friends come and talk about some of the things they produce, and we do that at lunch. So it's a lunch and learn, and um, and you. I want to do that. And 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 we'll or we'll do tablescaping or decorating and you know, that kind of thing. We'll have artists there painting. You know, it's it's the, it's the really a place to come and enjoy nature, enjoy a farm, have a great meal, connect and meet some people of like mind and, and see something creative going on and go away with something new and fresh and so hopefully that'll inspire and you. And this is the time of year to do it.
2: Thank you, Alan. I've really enjoyed Thank talking to you. Thank you, Carrie, and
0: congratulations with all your success Thank and you best too. wishes going forward.
2: If you have a great entrepreneurial story that you would like to share, I would love to hear from you. And find Finally, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening, and I can't believe if you didn't learn something today or hear something that's inspiring or enlightening because today was a great show. And that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up.
1: You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy a production of flagandbanner.com. If you miss any part of the show or want to learn more about UIYB, go to flagandbanner.com and click on radio show or subscribe to her weekly podcast wherever you like to listen. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week with links to resources you heard discussed on today's show. And Carrie's goal is to help you live the American dream.